Welcome to Salt and Light with Pastor Rodney Finch. Salt and Light is a radio outreach ministry of Calvary Chapel, Cary. Jesus, speak to me. Open your word and reveal your heart to me. Salt and Light is a series of verse-by-verse studies through the Bible, focusing on its practical application to our everyday lives. Salt and Light is recorded live at Calvary Chapel, Cary, in Apex, North Carolina. Stay tuned. At the end of the program, we will give you information on how to contact us, so be sure to have a pen and paper ready. Today, Pastor Rodney will be teaching from the book of Daniel, chapter 8. So grab your Bibles and follow along. Now with today's teaching, here's Pastor Rodney. Beginning in verse 1, In the third year of the reign of King Belshazzar, a vision appeared to me, Daniel, after the one that appeared to me the first time. I saw in the vision, and so it happened while I was looking, that I was in Shushan. Some of your Bibles might say Susa, S-U-S-A, Susa, same place, the citadel, which is the providence of Elam. And I saw in the vision that I was by the river Uli. So then in verse 3, I lifted my eyes and I saw, wow, uh, saw there standing beside the river a ram which had two horns, and the two horns were high, but one was higher than the other, and the higher one came up last. I saw the ram pushing westward, northward, southward, so that no animal could withstand him nor was there any that could deliver from his hand, but he did according to his will, and he became great. And as I was considering, suddenly a male goat came from the west across the surface of the whole earth without touching the ground, and the goat had a notable horn between his eyes. Then he came to the ram that had two horns, which I had seen standing beside the river, Uli, and ran at him, with furious power. And I saw him confronting the ram. He was moved with rage against him, attacked the ram, broke his two horns. There was no power in the ram to withstand him, but he cast him down to the ground and trampled him. And there was no one that could deliver the ram from his hand. Therefore, the male goat grew very great, but big word, but when he became strong, the large horn was broken And in place of it, four notable ones came up toward the four winds of heaven. Phew, what in the world was that? Anybody know? Chapter 8 opens two years after chapter 7. We just read it. God carries Daniel in a vision from Babylon to Shushan, which is the capital of Persia. If you remember, this is the place where the events of the book of Esther took place. This is the same place where Nehemiah was the cupbearer to King Artaxerxes. This today is the area of Iran. We don't know, according to Daniel, we don't know whether Daniel was literally transported or was he caught up in the spirit. Either way, Daniel sees himself in a vision standing beside the river Uli. And Daniel says, it was at this time that I saw by the river a ram with two horns, and the two horns were high. One was higher than the other. The highest one came up last. Did you get that? So the second horn grew higher than the first one did. Now, what is the ram? 
Can I tell you something? The Holy Spirit has given us the answer because he doesn't want us to miss this. He doesn't want us to miss who, what is the ram. Fast forward, verse 20, chapter 8. The ram which you saw having the two horns, they are the kings of Media and Persia. Any questions? Very, very clear here. Now, now it's interesting. These two horns, they represent the Medes and the Persians. Interesting, nine years after Daniel had this vision, the Medes and the Persians formed an alliance and they attacked the Babylonian Empire and Babylon was defeated. Initially, now here is where the two horns come in and the one growing bigger than the other. Initially, the Medes were more powerful. But soon the Persians became more powerful. So the second horn grew stronger than the first one. And then notice Daniel saw the ram pushed west, north, south, and no animal could stop them. In other words, the Medes, the Persians, quickly defeat the Babylonians. Then they pressed west, north, south, taking all of Mesopotamia, Asia Minor, Syria, the northwest part of Saudi Arabia, the Saudi Arabian Peninsula, actually, down to Israel and into Egypt. They were unstoppable, unbeatable, and they became great, the Medes and the Persians. Now, very interesting side note, do you know the symbol, interesting, the symbol of the Persian Empire was a ram's head. Isn't that interesting? And the symbol of the Grecian Empire was the goat. The Aegean Sea that surrounds Greece, the word Aegean means, guess what? Sea of goats. Alexander had a son, and he named him August, which means son of the goat. So even, get this, Alexander recognized that he was the goat because he names his son even after in relationship to this goat. Now, after seeing the ram in verse 5, look in your Bibles, all of a sudden, another animal appears, the he-goat or the male goat that came from the west. And it moves so quickly that and, and, and it, its feet not touching the ground speaks of the fact that it moved quickly, that it moved rapidly. And the he-goat had one horn coming from his forehead. Now, who or what is the he-goat? Well, again, the Holy Spirit, thank you, Lord, no need to figure it out. Chapter 8, verse 21, look at it again. And the male goat is the kingdom of where? Greece. The large horn that is between its eyes is the first king. That would be Alexander. So here again, the Holy Spirit doesn't leave us to have to figure it out. The first king of Greece is Alexander. So this he-goat represents Alexander. Now, if, again, if you've been with us on Wednesday night, the Medo-Persian Empire, the ram with two horns, ruled until 334 B.C., if you're taking notes. When all of a sudden, Alexander the Great, he takes 35,000 of his troops. And let me tell you something. 35,000 men in an army is a very small number. So he takes these 35,000 troops and he goes to battle against this huge Medo-Persian army. 
a million men. Alexander the Great was the greatest military strategist probably that ever lived. He was a genius. Get this. He invented the concept, if you will, of guerrilla warfare. He would hit his enemy quickly and then move out suddenly. He developed a strategy known as the web, or the wedge, actually. Normally, when you would fight your enemy, you would put your back to the sun. But Alexander would fight with his face to the sun. Get this. They would polish their brass shields or bronze shields. They would polish them till they looked like glass. And then in a wedge formation, they would hold these shields up over their heads and and get really close to their enemy. And then there would be a command to drop their shields and the sun would blind their enemy's eyes. And Alexander and the boys would move in and crush them. Alexander was incredible. He was an incredible military genius. And that's exactly what happened. At that time, Alexander did battle with Xerxes, who was the emperor of the Medo-Persian Empire at this time. And Xerxes had one million men in his army. And Alexander took took him on with 35,000, struck Xerxes hard, and destroyed and annihilated them. Incredible. Alexander's father, his name is Philip of Macedon. He also was a military genius, a brilliant military general. Little Alex, Philip's son, watched dad take country after country. One day he cried out to his mom and went crying to his mom. And he says, Mom, Dad is going to conquer everything and isn't going to leave anything for me to conquer. He was jealous of his dad and competitive with his dad. And at 12 years old, Dad realized that there was something very special about his son. So he brought the most brilliant scholar of the day to be his tutor. Who do you think that would be? Aristotle. Interesting. Then dad gave him a black stallion and he rode that black stallion. This black stallion, no man could tame it. The black stallion's name was um, Eusipolis. Eusipolis. No one could tame this black stallion. At 16 years old, Alexander tamed Eusipolis and rode him into battle until the horse died in India. When Philip saw his son on the horse, he said, Macedonia is not worthy of you, son, and you should go and conquer kingdoms that are great. And from that time forth, he was called Alexander the Great. And by the age of 20, he gained control of all of Greece by 20 years old. So after he defeated the Medo-Persian Empire, he went south. Then he went into the area of Israel. But guess what? Jerusalem was spared. Why? Listen at this fascinating story. It was 332 B.C. Alexander was coming through, conquering every city and every country. The Grecian Empire was growing. He would wipe out entire cities and countries and then sell whole ethnic groups into slavery. He was one bad dude. Well, as he was moving south... He came to Judah. In Judah, there was a high priest serving in the temple whose name was Jadoah. 
Jadoah heard that Alexander was coming, and before he could reach the city, Jadoah went out to Alexander and took him the scroll to Daniel chapter 8. And he told him that this was written 200 years earlier, around 530 B.C., and that it was a vision, that Daniel's vision in Daniel 8 was all about him. He said, he said, he said, Alexander, look, look at this, read this. This is all about you. You are the one who is conquering. You are the male goat. And Alexander was so moved by that, that he spared Jerusalem. And so the city was saved. Lives were spared. Destruction was stopped. All because the word of God was heard. I hear a sermon. What? You mean people's lives will be spared, cities will be saved, countries will be delivered if God's word is heard? Yep, that's exactly right. Now, we don't have time for it tonight. Well, Alexander went down to Egypt and then up north to the area of Afghanistan. It was in this area that a woman had a son He married this woman and she had a son and he thought that his friend was giving his wife the big eye. You know what the big eye is. You know, when you be like, hey, foxy mama, you know, you know, the big eye, you know what I'm saying? He thought, he thought his friend was hitting on his wife. And so he took a knife and he put it in his back, his friend. <laughs> Friends like that, who needs enemies? <laughs> his friend. And then he conquers India. And the he-goat, Alexander, made Babylon his capital city. By the age of 20, as I said, he gained control of all of Greece. And by the age of 33, he had conquered all of Europe and India and the entire known world. He started crying again. This guy, actually, you look in his history, he did a lot of whining. It's like 1-800-WHINE. This is is Alexander. He's always whining, you know. And so here he is crying again, but this time he's crying because there's no other kingdoms to conquer. I have no other countries to conquer. There's no other kingdoms to conquer. There's nothing else for me to do. And so he got depressed. If you've been around here, you know that. He threw a huge drunken orgy party. Actually, it was a homosexual orgy party. And he went to the party. The first night, their parties lasted for days and weeks. They party hardy. And he got drunk that night, the first night of the party. He got drunk, walked across the field or whatever, headed back to the palace, and he got soaking wet in the rain. It was pouring out rain. Got back and told his guards, don't bother me. Nobody bother me. Don't come in and don't bother me. You know, he was drunk and stupor. He goes in and falls on a bed. And of course, you don't bother the king. If the king says, don't bother you, don't bother him. You don't bother him. So they didn't bother him. And they left him in there. He got a fever and he died. And when they came in there to finally bother him, they found him dead. Incredible, incredible story. And so, it's an interesting study now. Let me see if I can touch on some of these. It's an interesting study when you contrast 
Alexander the Great with Jesus Christ. Interesting study. Alexander, as we talked about, he enslaved the rebels and he annihilated people. The contrast is what? Jesus Christ freed rebels like us. Amen, saints? And Jesus didn't come to annihilate. The Bible says that he came to seek and to save that which was lost. You see the difference? Alexander was in competition with his father. Jesus was in submission to his father. John chapter 5 verse 30 says, I don't seek my own will, Jesus said, but the will of the one who sent me the Father. John chapter 8, verse 29. He said, I always do those things that please the Father. You see, Jesus walked in submission, not competition, with his Father, unlike Alexander. Alexander, the man, made himself to be God. Jesus Christ, who was God, the Bible says, humbled himself and became a man. Philippians chapter 2, verse 7 says, but made himself, speaking of Jesus, of no reputation, taking the form of a servant and coming in the likeness of men. Alexander shed the blood of millions for his own glory. Jesus shed his own blood for the glorification and the salvation of others. You know, we often think, and I was thinking about this today, we often think that Jesus died for the world. But you know, Jesus died for you. Jesus died for me. I I think it's good to take the time, saints, to personalize that. Because, you know, if Jesus died for the world, that's one thing, and that's true. And that's that's Bible. And he died for the world, for, for for all those, the world. But when you say Jesus died for me, doesn't that feel a whole lot more personal, tangible. Jesus died for me. And if it had just been me, he still would have come and died just for me. You see, when Alexander died, get this, thousands, thousands of people walked by to pay their respects, talking about contrast between Alexander and Jesus. Thousands of people walk by to pay their respects. When when, when the greater than Alexander, Jesus Christ, when he died, guess what? He died alone, John. Not thousands, just one, John, died alone. Alexander rode on a black stallion that he would conquer the world on. Jesus didn't come on a stallion. The Bible says he came on a Donkey, you know that. Why? Because the donkey speaks of humility. Now, see, Jesus in his first coming came on a donkey, which speaks of humility, that he humbled himself. Jesus comes saying, hey, I'm humble and and I'm coming in humility because I love you, because I care about you. So you got to understand when he came the first time, he came riding through Jerusalem on a donkey. But the Bible says when Jesus comes back again, and listen, he will come back again. After tonight, I hope you're more convinced than ever that he will come back again. When he does come back again, he won't be coming on a donkey. When he comes back again, the Bible says he's going to come riding on a white stallion. Woo! <laughs> That's great. He's not going to come back as a suffering servant or the suffering savior. 
He's going to come back as the conquering king. Amen, saints? That's true. And when Alexander killed his friend, who was flirting with his wife, he suspected, his last words to him was, fiend, you must die. And he took the knife and he stuck it in his back. Judas really did betray Jesus in the garden. And he didn't call him fiend. He called him friend. Interesting contrast there. Now, notice in your Bibles, we got to move on. Look at verse 8 again. The great horn, notice in verse 8, was broken. And four horns came up together or towards the four winds of heaven. In, in, in other words, the, the, the empire here in chapter, in, in chapter 8, verse 8, the empire splits in four, if you're taking notes. It splits in four. The four horns speak of four generals. Now, again, all of this is history. Just get your Encyclopedia Britannica out or your programs or whatever, and you can find all this stuff. The, the four horns speaks of four generals. Cassander, who took over Europe. Uh, 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 Lysimachus, who, who took over Asia Minor, which is known as uh, Turkey today. Ptolemy, who took over Egypt. And Seleucus, very important, we'll come back to this. Seleucus, who took over Syria, Babylon, and Media. Now, we'll come back to that in just a second about Seleucus. But look at verse 9, if you will. And out of one of them came a little horn, underline that, very important, which grew exceedingly great toward the south, toward the east, and toward the glorious land. That would be Israel. Jerusalem. And it grew up to the host of heaven, and it came down some of the most, some of the host and some of the stars to the ground and trampled them. And he even exalted himself as high as the prince of the host, and by him the daily sacrifices were taken away, and the place of his sanctuary was cast down. Because of transgression, an army was given over to the horn to oppose the daily sacrifices, and he cast truth down to the ground. He did all this and prospered. Then I heard a holy one speaking, and another holy one said to that certain one who was speaking, how long will the vision be concerning the daily sacrifices and the transgression of desolation, or I give it to you early, the abomination of desolation. We'll talk about it in a minute. How long will the vision be? The giving of both the sanctuary and the host to be trampled underfoot. And he said to me in verse 14, for two thousand three hundred days, then the sanctuary shall be cleansed. Now, stop right there. Remember last week, if you were with us, last week we saw a little horn. Very important to listen very closely here. Last week we saw a little horn in chapter 7. And the little horn in chapter 7, we talked about this, represents the Antichrist, the world ruler in the end times. The little horn in this chapter is different than in chapter 7. The little horn in chapter 7 now, if you are here, you know, came out of 10 nations and 10 horns. The Antichrist. This little horn comes out of four horns of Alexander and comes out of the Seleucian Empire and is a picture 
illustration or foreshadowing of the Antichrist. You see, this, there's this little horn to come in the last days in the tribulation. But this little horn has to come in this chapter and will expand his borders and moves to the glorious place. The glorious land is a reference, as I said, to Israel, the land of milk and honey. Now, if you were around, now again, you've got to listen to me. If you were around in the book of Isaiah, we talked about many Bible prophecies have a dual fulfillment or a near fulfillment and a far fulfillment. Many Bible prophecies. Many prophecies deal with a present application, and at the same time, they look down the corridors of time prophetically and speak to the end times. You have been listening to Salt and Light, a radio outreach ministry of Pastor Rodney Finch in Calvary Chapel, Cary, located in Apex, North Carolina. Join Pastor Rodney Monday through Friday at this same time. For information regarding service times, you can contact us at 1-800-293-0923. That's 1-800-293-0923. You may listen to today's broadcast in its entirety by visiting the Media Library on our website at cccary.org. We would like to thank you for tuning in to Salt and Light and pray that you have been blessed. Until next time, may you be salt and light.